0: This is James 3, starting at 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast, be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves to give wisdom to his people, who speaks to his people. We offer ourselves to you, O Lord, and say we want to hear from you. Let our hearts be changed, softened, cleansed. Let our ears be open. Pray that we would hear your word and respond by the power of your Holy Spirit. The praise of Jesus. Amen. James here is, uh, is, is talking about wisdom. He's talking about the, the marks, the, the signs of wisdom that is supposed to be manifested in the people of God. And he presents this sort of divergent pathway, these two systems of being wise... One that is from above, and one that is from below. And here, James is fully inhabiting his his role as a teacher uh, in the wisdom tradition. And you have to understand that that the wisdom tradition is, is something that transcends the Bible... It transcends um, the ancient Near East. It transcends uh, Christianity and Judaism, that wisdom was sort of on the agenda for lots and lots and lots of people of this time. So we know from the beginning of this book that James is writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the Mediterranean world. So they have their own particular culture as Jewish followers of Jesus but they're also living in a Greek world. And the Greek world is not just contained to the islands and peninsula of Greece, but because of a lot of different factors has sort of exploded all over the the known world. So the Greek language and Greek culture and Greek art and Greek ways of thinking has extended all across Europe and all across into Asia and to Northern Africa. And the way that Greeks approached wisdom has also gone throughout all these spaces. And Greeks are pursuing wisdom all around the people that James is writing to as a kind of hobby. People liked pursuing wisdom. They liked the pursuit of being wise to such an extent that people can make a career in this world by just getting up and teaching and talking about this topic, wisdom. And not only is it interesting to them, but it's kind of a competition for them. There's all these various philosophers that they can follow who have their take on what it means to be wise, and you kind of identify yourself with these schools of teaching and wear their names on your shirt, and it's almost like the nerd Olympics of the day. Everybody was kind of nerdy back then, and I totally dig that, to be honest with you. Everybody liked these different uh, rhetoricians who who go and speak and have these extravagant ways of teaching, and they picked their favorite ways of teaching. You can kind of see this happening and and hear about it, not just in James, but if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 2, you'll start out hearing how Paul is trying to talk to the people in Corinth, another Greek city about how they're picking sides, about who their favorite Christian teacher is, and they're sort of modeling and mimicking the way the world is. So this is all around, uh, all around the church, and it's, it's even in the church. This fascination with wisdom, whatever that means, and the people who teach it. And James is correcting these people that are listening to him. And he's saying, the way of wisdom is good, but the way of wisdom does not look like the world's way of wisdom. Ben Witherington, uh, a commentator who talks about that the way arguments are written in the Bible, talks about this passage and says that it's very clear right from the beginning that James here is talking about wisdom in a way that the world around them would find to be foolish. So there is overlap between Greek philosophers and the way they talk about wisdom and, and what Christians believe. But the overlap is slim, and, and at the heart it's, it's very small. Because the wisdom that James is teaching, the wisdom that the, the Bible is teaching, is centered around very different things. And it, you're clued in right from the beginning if you kind of know this background. When he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. For James's world, wisdom and meekness don't go together. They don't belong in the same room. Wisdom is for all of those who have enough means and opportunity to sit under the feet of lots of different philo- philosophers and to be smart And to be very open about that intelligence. But meekness is for slaves. It is for servants. It is for those who are subject to a different kind of life and do not benefit from the same world that these pursuers of wisdom benefit from. James says you are meant to join those things together. Meekness and wisdom go together. And so right away, that the listener, the reader is being cued in that James is talking about a different way of being in the world. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He's saying this this team forming that people are doing, this thing that other people are saying is wisdom that causes other people to stand up and to boast and say, this is my teacher, this is my philosopher, this is my way of wisdom, and it is better, and it trumps all the other ones, it's superior, I'm waving my flag. He's saying that kind of wisdom is earthly, it is unspiritual. The word there is, is literally it's natural as opposed to supernatural. It's earthy. It's demonic. That kind of life is the wisdom that comes from below. And that wisdom that comes from, a, from below seems almost natural and normal to us It's part of a way of life. In some sense, you can, you can move into the wisdom from below without even trying. It is, it is the, the gravity of your nature that draws you into this wisdom from below. And look at to the kind of life that proceeds out of that. Jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, every vile practice. These are things that surely follow. And James is is speaking in a world where he knows that the people who are reading this letter can step back and and see that indeed these things do naturally come with this wisdom from below. That indeed you you can trace all of these things into this kind of wisdom. And it's worth reflecting upon our world that we live in. And, and for one thing, we'd have to say, nobody in our culture pursues wisdom. That is not a cultural value in our time. You don't see that language anywhere. You don't hear people talking about the pursuit of wisdom. It just doesn't even exist, the idea that you should pursue wisdom. The closest thing that, that comes in that direction roughly partially in the same field is self-help. How do I become a better person? Which wisdom has something to say about that, but not even the language, the lingo of wisdom exists in our culture. And if you said to your friends who are, who are non-religious, unchurched people, if you try to have a conversation about pursuing wisdom, that word is so foreign. It, it is, is so Uh, nonsensical it's another language that people will likely look at you as if you've been struck in the head like who what do you mean pursuing wisdom there's almost like a, a pretentiousness about that word wisdom so we're not even in the realm of pursuing wisdom right or wrong in our culture but still you can see these fruits in our culture that match up with this exactly: Jealousy, selfish ambition. Are, are we quite convinced that we may have a problem with that? Look at the way that people devote their time. Look at the way that people get their self-image and feed their self-reflection into the world. Isn't it, isn't it marked and consumed and tied up in these values of jealousy and selfish ambition? And nobody has had to teach us to be this way. It's just naturally followed. Jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, every vile practice. There is this sort of moral entropy that follows. You know what I mean when I say entropy? That everything in the universe tends to disorder. That's the a law of thermodynamics. Similarly, morally, when you're on this path from below, you tend towards disorder, to self-obsession. Because you have no referent outside of yourself. There's nothing, a north star by which you can Gauge your progress in life. You become your own North Star. There's an inherent insecurity in that. Because all of us want to believe that we are a good anchor and guide for our journey. But at the same time, many of us, most of us, all of us, deep in our guts, know I maybe shouldn't feel so good about that. Please, will you come validate me? Will you please come and look at me and validate that my choices that I've made for myself as my own North Star, they are good and right? Or you look at others on their own journey anchored by their own North Star that is themselves, and you say, oh, I just wish I could be like them. The things that they put out into the world about who they are and where they're going and how they're doing, something in you just craves. Oh, if I could just be like them, if I could hop on their train, I could know that I'm going the right way. There is this inherent insecurity when your way of wisdom is marked by yourself. You can't help but be selfish to seek after yourself and to be jealous. But the way of wisdom that comes from above is marked by a different kind of life. And here it's important to be reminded, and we've talked about this a couple times, that biblical wisdom is not grounded so much in the things that you know it is grounded in the life that you live. But there is, a, there is a clear mark of difference between knowing the right information and living that information out. You know, James is very much after you and me following Jesus in such a way that we're not just intellectually following him, but our feet are actually moving down the path. And this is straight out of the book of Proverbs. This is straight out of the Jewish understanding of wisdom. That wisdom is knowing what is the right thing to do at the right time. Wisdom is not like the Greeks thought, the knowing of the right set of information or knowing enough information. It is contrary to that idea. It is knowing what to do with your life that is right and at the right time, it is this very practical view of what it means to be wise. And this is how James talks about it. Notice the marks of this wisdom. It is first pure. Notice he didn't, he didn't lead with a correct or most appealing or longest list. Correctness, being right, is assumed in wisdom, but the mark of it is purity. First, it's pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now imagine the kind of person that is being described here. I think it's important, the way that James wrote this actually is really beautiful and and powerful and it loses some of that in English. So if we could all just learn Greek together and just think like Greeks, this would be a lot more powerful. But these words actually like rhyme and the sounds lined up perfectly. It's this beautiful list. But I want you to close your eyes and try to envision this person, close your eyes. I want to read the description of this person again. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. Now open your eyes. that kind of person, what that thing is that you are envisioning, is markedly different from the kind of person that is produced by this wisdom from below. And as I read this this list of, of virtues, I found this sense of profound security Tying all of these virtues together. You, you cannot be this person that's being described by James with having this unbelievable steadiness inside of you. James describes people who are peaceable and gentle, and the phrase here that's described as open to reason actually most literally means easily convinced. They're able to have their mind changed easily, not because they're dumb, but because they're ready to hear and receive the truth. They don't assume that they have everything right, but they're ready to be taught. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And if you think about this list of virtues and a person, a people that embody this kind of virtues, you can see a real contrast to the kind of people that make up our culture. There is a quiet confidence that fills this kind of person that is in stark contrast to the frenetic grasping for approval, the need to shout louder and louder, That you are best, and those who disagree with you are foolish morons. This person doesn't need to do that, because they're standing absolutely solidly convicted that they are standing on wisdom from above that does not shift like the sand, They don't need to seek out the north star of somebody else and try to desperately crave to be like that person or that person, the next that person, or can you please validate that I'm the right person to follow. They're able to be convinced because their worth is not being determined. Their pathway is not being shaped by the conviction that they must be right all the time. They're open to being told, you are wrong there's peace and then the next verse peacemaking that flows out from people like this James's description of wisdom is centered on character that flows from a heart that is transformed The wisdom from below aims at above at your head Wisdom from below aims at your head and hopes to give you enough things to know and things to do. And then maybe one day you can be someplace different inside of you. But the wisdom from above starts at a lower target, it starts from your heart and a conviction about who you are in relation to who God is. Wisdom from below, wisdom that aims at you figuring out life for yourself, relies on you being a good judge, relies on you thinking that you actually are a good judge of what is right and good and a good way to live in the world. And the conviction of all of the story of Scripture is that you are in fact not a good judge. That you need help. That if things are left in your hands because of what is in your heart, you will wander all over the path variously trusting yourself as a good guide and hoping that people will affirm you as such or wandering over to somebody else and hoping that they will be a good guide for you because all of those individual pursuits of the North Star is totally shrouded in fog. The biblical conviction is that you need help and that God will help you. The biblical message is not that you need help, I hope you figure this out. But that instead God speaks to His people and does not abandon them to themselves. Biblical wisdom as James understands it, as we are invited to understand it, starts with an ear inclined to the speaking voice of God. There is a whole psalm devoted to this. There's many psalms devoted to this idea, but the longest psalm in the Bible centers around the idea that wisdom is available to you and is life in liberty to you. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. It's 176 verses. We will read starting at verse 1 all the way to the end. Join me. Not really. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's an acrostic. It's built around uh, the Hebrew alphabet so that every letter of the Hebrew alphabet gets a chance to say the same general message. I'm going to start at verse 97, and I'm just going to read the sections for two of the Hebrew letters. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The psalmist is speaking of the law of God with such tenderness and affection not because this is the way by which they accumulate their moral points, but because the law, the wisdom of God illuminates the path to a good life. Because here, they don't have to worry about straying or being tripped up or snared, but because the Word of God, the law of God is spoken to His people, there is a way of life that opens up and is illumined for them. This is the way that transforms the heart. And this set of virtues that is described by James, it flows out for a people whose hearts have been transformed to look like Jesus. These virtues that are described by James are so Jesus soaked. If you read that list again and you close your eyes and imagine the person that is being described, you get Jesus. He is so rock steady, confident in his identity as he follows the Father as He teaches a life that can somehow be blessedly meek, that can be peacemaking, and that from that peace flows a righteousness. God has presented His wisdom to you most clearly in Jesus. The wisdom of God that the way from above is Jesus. Jesus stands in front of you and does not just beckon to you to believe a certain set of doctrines, but instead stands before you and says, come, follow Me. And the person who follows Jesus loves the things that He loves, delights in what He delights in, and is unafraid of the world. Is unafraid of whether or not they are a good enough guide or that you are the one that they should be following. But the person who follows Jesus is absolutely secure in following Jesus into this way of peace and peacemaking. The law of the Lord in Psalm 119 should still be our prayer, and our confession. The law of the Lord, the Word of God is still a Word that illuminates the path. In Jesus, the lights get turned up, way up, and we read better, and we read truer, and we read clearer than even the psalmist read when he wrote Psalm 119. God wants for you a transformed kind of life, a wisdom from above that forms you into a person that is not like the people of this world. And if you are here today and you have trusted yourself as a good guide for your whole life, that you feel like you have a good handle on what is right and what is wrong and what is right for you to do and what is wrong for you to do, and you have trusted yourself as the lodestar, the one that can be trusted in their judgment, that way for you is corrupted. And we all go that direction. That is our inclination to trust that we are one who is a good decider of what is right and what is wrong. It is the story of our first parents to want to be the ones who get to decide what is right and what is wrong. It is in the garden. It is Genesis 3. It is our nature, our temptation to all the time believe I am good at deciding what is right and what is wrong. James is standing in front of you and waving his arms and saying, that way lies madness. You are not a good judge. But you are not doomed. Because God made you and loves you and speaks to you to make you to be like Him. He gives you a way of wisdom from above that can shape you into a person more and more looking like Jesus. Unafraid of enemies, of judgment from others, absolutely confident in God our Father who shines His light on your foot so that it might not slip from the path. If you're here this morning and you, you have given yourself over to that kind of wisdom, if you have trusted in your own judgment overly much. And maybe things are going well for you. For all, from all outward appearances, things are fine. Maybe inwardly you feel great. Today, James is warning you that it's not likely to stay that course. That the seeds of, of the things that you see around in the world that, that scare you and scream at you with their frenetic insecurity and screaming and vain ambition, the seeds of that are inside of you. Don't go down that way. And maybe you have eaten from the fruit of that. You you are consumed by this jealousy, this selfish ambition. You are consumed by this way of boasting so that somebody might affirm that your boasts are right. Your whole world is is a social media put. Post that you're hoping that enough people like to affirm your own rule, to affirm your own status as a good and right North Star. And this morning, what I'm offering to you in the Gospel is relief. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to be so burdened by insecurity and hunger for approval. You don't have to wave your own flag anymore. Jesus will be your rock. And if you are here this morning, and you have leaned hard into the way of wisdom from above, and life is hard, let me encourage you. It may be hard because the whole world is wired according to a different set of wisdom. And just because your life is hard does not mean that you are being unwise. It may mean that you are right and the whole world is rushing in the wrong direction. Hold fast to your security in Jesus even when the whole world says that you are wrong and that you are crazy and you must acquire and accumulate the approval of so many others, you must be driven by jealousy and selfish ambition, Jesus is a rock to you. Just hold on. Just cling to Him against the tide and He will not fail you even though your world may feel like it is failing. Jesus stands in front of all of us this morning providing a pathway forward into a life illumined by the peace and love of God. He is making, has made, is making, and will continue to make peace with His people forever and ever. And in the context of that peace, He will grow you into the kind of person that deep down in your belly you are craving to be a person growing up into the full image of God marked by the face of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the quiet way of the righteous love of God is available to your people that we can have peace and flourishing in a world that is tumultuous and wind-tossed and fickle because You speak a word to the wind and the waves and You say, peace, be still. We are... We are drawn to you Lord Jesus because you are so unlike what we see around us. There is no one like you in all the world. And we don't need to to wave the flags of our loyalty to get the approval from anyone because we can just be secure in being your people. Father, I pray for all of those who have been racked by insecurity and fear and guilt and shame, the craving for approval, this driven, boastful life, trying to get enough people to tell you that you're right and good. God, bring these people, rest from that kind of glory-seeking. Lord Jesus, for all of those who are trying their best to follow You in this way of wisdom from above, I pray, God, that You would incline their hearts to Your wisdom once more. That You would shed Your light on their hearts. That their wor- Your Word would be alive to them. That they will drink from it. They will be refreshed from it. They will see You in the Word and the lights would be turned on to full brightness that even though they might struggle alone against the tide, they are not in danger, but are instead secure, sheltered by You, steadied by You. Jesus, make us a people who are wise. Make us a people of peace and peacemaking. And in that peaceful context, God, continue to make us more righteous, the kind of people who wisely choose the right thing to do at the right time, as guided and instructed by you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.